Today is uh, Monday morning, January 22nd, uh, 2024, and we have to begin as we should now. Achenu Kol Beit Yisrael, Hanatunim B'Tzara, B'Shivya, Homedim, Bein Biyam, I don't think it's on, no, it's on, make it a drop louder. Bein Biyam, U Bein Biyam B'Shel, Bein Ba'avir, Hamokin Yorachim Aleihem, B'Yotziyem Mitzalu L'Ravacham, Me'Afeil L'Oda, M'Shibit L'Gula, Hashtof Ba'agala, U B'Zman Kariv, V'Noma Amen. Uh, regarding what I said yesterday about Rabbi Chalap, so uh, Rabbi Schles just uh, corrected me, added more information that with Pepsi Cola, the Chalap family still gives the Heksher on the essence. But on the bottling, it's Chavke. Uh, uh, I don't think Rabbi sent us alive anymore. Um, um, and he was my—he was a year ahead of me, actually. But in the Limudei Kodesh, he was my classmate. All right, uh, be it as it may, I'm sure it's a reliable heksha. Um, another correction I mentioned uh, over the—I don't remember exactly when—about when I started teaching in Michala, there was a Rabbi Peretz, Yitzchak Peretz, Rav of Ranana, and I mentioned he spoke perfect Yiddish. And was the Talmud of Panovich, Rav Shach. So I got an interesting correction from Baruch Reisel that he uh, spoke perfect Yiddish, was very close to Rav Shach, but was the Talmud of Hebron. Okay, so let me just make that small correction. And as I said yesterday, a number of people have contacted me to tell me that Rav Eliach is alive, kicking, publishing, and doing great things, and he just came out with the biography of the Chafetz Chaim. Uh, one more correction on yesterday's shir, not a correction, the name of the Yishuv that I was referring to in the Gush area was Bat Ayin. That's the name of the Yishuv. I, uh, I, I was there once. I, it's not like Nevei Daniel Laza that I've been quite a few times and uh, my wife told me, and then my brother sent me an email, <coughs> and that's where Danny Cohn, Rav Daniel Cohn, is the Rav. Okay, but now I, let me come back to uh, where we are, and we have a lot to do. Uh, there's no question that uh, scholars, uh, both from a point of view of Torah scholars and academic scholars, have struggled with... Uh, how Rab Chaim was so different than his Rebbe, the Gra, in relation to Chassidim. And uh, you can't deny the fact that although people claim Nefesh HaChaim is written against Chassidus, but nevertheless, on a personal level, there is absolutely no record of Rab Chaim ever debating or speaking ill or signing a Chayrim against a Chassidim. <coughs> And uh, my, my, my Talmud Chavir from Chicago, whom uh, Mark Wiener speaks very highly of, Rav Moshe Katz, who is a Talmud of uh, Chaim Berlin, of Rav Yitzchak Kutna, but also picked up a little bit from this year in the greater YU context, uh, sent me something very beautiful. And uh, he says that he heard this from Rabban Soloveitchik. Um, 
uh, at the Yudket Kislev gathering in Chicago one year, Rabban Soloveitchik was the guest speaker, and uh, he recalled the family Masora. That I never heard this from the Rav, but it's, it sounds good. Uh, that uh, at the Akeda, Hakadosh Baruch Hu told Avraham Avinu to be male Yitzchak as a carbon. At the end of the narrative, a Malach tells Avraham not to offer him as a carbon. So, uh, if initially Hakadosh Baruch Hu told him offer Yitzchak as a carbon, how come? HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't we sing the Malach and how come you listen to the Malach HaKadosh Baruch Hu told you otherwise but uh, Rabbaran Salavechik said uh, he, he keeps on saying here I can still hear Rabbaran R.A. standing I guess for Rabbaran I can hear him say these exact words to Shech Klal Yisrael only an order from the Kaddish Baruch Hu directly will enable you to slaughter but a malach is not enough. But to rescind such an order, a malach suffices. So what he was saying, that uh, to fight the chsidim, you have to be on the level of the gong. That's uh, someone on a very high level. But afterwards, to rescind it, you can even be less than the gong, and Rebchaim uh, Velazhin rescinded it. So... That's a beautiful word. But I'm going to come back to this issue later today. I'm going to give you some interesting material because we struggle with this problem until today. Uh, Literature learning, the way I grew up, and I had wonderful Rabbeim, uh, uh, I knew Rabbi Yerucham Gorelik very well, Rabbi Shmuel Lezel Volk, uh, there was a lot of lumbness with them. Something was missing. The warmth. In my case, it worked to my advantage because it inspired me later to do the research that in my office there are thousands of pages Yomo can testify on the, the yeshiva, the history of yeshiva in Eastern Europe, each one is different. I was curious why my rebellion uh, could knife each other under the table on Atelja, Aslapotkinik, Amira, Radna. Wait, you'll hear what they had to say about each other. I just, she didn't enable me to teach for another 120 years, but we'll get there, I hope, I hope, yes, Ratashem. But the kite we need, and, and we see in the state of Israel, for instance, if you look at the alonim that are given out, the freebies, I call them, on Friday, so one of them is Karove Lecha. It's unbelievable. It's a Hasidic publication, part of the religious Zionist world. And uh, you see, you can't dismiss the Hasidim. All right, we have a problem. Davening Shalobizman, I still have not been able to find the Heta. Uh, going to mikveh every day is wonderful. What's the problem? The Rav didn't go to mikveh, I believe, not even on Erev Yom Kippur. But uh, that's brisk. One time, and uh, you have it on tape, 
in Moria, where he's talking, one will give his next shir, and he says, oh, you know, it's, and, and you should know, the heart of Moria were Hasidic Yidin, were, were Jews, Hasidic Yidin, who did very well in diamonds, okay, Vahamevin Yavin. And uh, they established Maria special for the Rav. We were ever there, did you ever see, you know what I'm talking about, Maria? You walked up the steps, there was a music, st- it was amazing. And that's where some of the greatest shir were given by the Rav every Tuesday night. So he like, says to the audience, oh, you're busy now, you're busy. He says, Baruch Hashem, where I come from, we didn't go to Mikvah, not every Rosh Hashanah, not every Yom Kippur, not everyone understood him. Uh, it's very, very simple, Kenny. Mikvah has to have a halachic status. For me to go to Mikvah, I can take a shower, you understand? A chassid, it's not a woman going to mikveh. You understand? They're there, there's a... But a chassid, mikveh, tisha kabim, it's a different understanding, a different world. Takonet Ezra. All right, I don't... So we, we, need, we need the bottom kite. And this machloikis goes on until today. How do we bridge, or this challenge, I should say, how do we bridge the world of the Gaon and the world of the Baal Shem Tov. And it's a living, it's a work in process. We haven't entirely achieved it, but we've certainly made very good strides. Now, before I continue with that topic, I want to go further about Velazhin. Rav Chaim introduced many innovations. The whole concept of a yeshiva, of an international yeshiva, uh, the whole concept of support, uh, appealing to the entire community way beyond the Lushen, this was Rav Chaim. You asked me last week were there ever uh, American kids. Uh, it seems that before the Lushen closed, there was at least one American youngster. Um, he was the son of an American rabbi, a, a European Shirov, and I, I believe his father was in Chicago. I, I don't have, I, I may have the article in front of me, but I don't want to spend time now looking for it. Uh, there was one, one American Rav, maybe it's here, here it is. One American Rav, I'll give you the name in a second. The article appeared in Turim. It was a volume that came out in honor of Rabbi Dr. Bernard Lander of Turo of Lander College. And it had scholarly articles. And with the fall of communism, the archives of the secret police were available for research. And they found the list of the students studying at the Volushin Yeshiva in 1879. And the Genrish Akaramvansky, that has to be a Russian, and Sid Lyman, who was mentioned in, who was mentioned at the end of class yesterday by Nachum Lamb, worked on the article, worked on the Russian, translated it into English, and among the students listed, here it is, Isaac Anixta, the son of Rabbi Yehuda Eliezer Anixta, and his father Taka was a rabbi in Chicago, 
and he sent his son to the Lusian to study. And uh, here, this is the deposition that he signed for the secret police, who he is. Eitzik Anikta, 22 years old, a citizen of the United States of America, has been in Volusian since April 1879 at the behest of his father, a rabbi in Chicago. He sent me here to master the prayers as well as Jewish religious responsibilities and laws. I plan to return to the United States in May 1880. We studied by ourselves in Volusian Yeshiva, had nothing else to say on the topic, therefore I sign Isaac Anixta. So it's fascinating. That may be the first American student to go to Eastern Europe to study Torah. Now, Anixta comes back to the United States, marries six children, as I recall, becomes an accountant, goes into business, and dies young. And we have no record of what happened to his descendants. So uh, it's a challenge if anyone from Chicago... Uh, who did the, excuse me? His father spelt it Anixta. A, 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 I'll give it to you exactly. I believe it's A-N-X. One second. Here it is. One second. Uh, A-N-I-X-T-E-R. And it would be very fascinating to know what remains from this family. Isaac but is the son? Isaac is the son of the father. Father's name? Father's name. He was already a famous Rav. You'll see his name in all the research on the Agudas Rabbanim. Yehuda Eliezer Anixta. He died in 1914. And let me see if I have something here on the sun. Um, Why do you think he said that he came to master the prayers? Well, he's writing for Goyim. Who's he writing for? The Secret Service. So he's writing, my father sent me here to be a good Jew. What's taste are good to yid, to know how to daven and to know how to learn a daf gemara. You follow? That's, uh, I can understand that. That's not a problem. Okay, now I want to come in, but there were more, there were more innovations in the Lajan. First of all, in every other community where people gathered around the rabbi, he was the only teacher. There was no one else. It was a shtat rav. Uh, it was a, a teaching experience for the few youngsters who were interested in learning with him. There's no one else involved. With Velazhin, number one, Reb Chaim was the Rosh Yeshiva. But very early on, you find he had assistant. Uh, and the assistant was of help in every aspect of the yeshiva. Why did he need an assistant? And, by the way, this concept of an assistant becomes extremely important. Ultimately, it leads to the closing of the Lushen 90 years later. Why was the assistant needed? Why was so important? Well, once you get involved with the yeshiva and you have more than a handful of students and ultimately remember we said in his lifetime already it went up to 50 to 100 
Ultimately, the lesson goes up to 300 students. And these were tremendous numbers. I mean, Ben is sitting here thinking, big deal, 300. I come from Lakewood, they're 9,000 students. You follow me? Norm is sitting here saying, Mir has 11,000 students. Yeah, this is a modern phenomenon, but the 19th century, 300 students was a fabulous number. So once you have that responsibility and fundraising, you need an assistant. You can't be in the yeshiva all the time. That's one reason they give. Another reason, Reb Chayen Velazhin was a going on dear. Not every student could understand his shayurim. Take Lakewood. When I learned in Lakewood, Rabbi Aaron Cutler was the only one giving shayurim. You could understand the first 10 minutes, then maybe 15 minutes. Only a handful understood Rabbi Aaron to the end. We used to wait online to talk with Rabbi Yankel Schiff. He's a Bronx boy, by the way. His father had a stand at Hunts Point Market. That was the wholesale vegetables and fruits would come in there. And as his father had one of, one of the shops there. And Yankel Schiff, he understood everything. The average person didn't understand. Rav, Aaron died, and Rav, to say a few words about Rabbi Aaron Cutler, so the Rav said, uh, spoke very honestly, said there's a big difference between Rabarin Shirim and mine, he said. He says, Rabarin speaks to the Iluyim. I try to speak to the average Talmud. And this was true of the Rav. He was much more understandable than Rabarin. I, I don't say everyone grasped the Rav to the full depth, depth but a lot more understood the Rav. And the Rav made the, he, the Rav, he would repeat himself and clear. And what had me let's What had me What did we say yesterday? Repeat it. Then he'd go further. And then he'd end the, What did I say in this year today? He made a, a very big effort to be a master teacher. Rabarin was much more involved with the Chiddush, his mind running ahead of him. So they say Rav Chaim Velazhin was difficult for the average student to understand. And they needed, I'm quoting from Stampfer's quoting memoir literature, they needed someone who gave an easier shir, a more popular shir. And that's why he needed an assistant. Now, just for the sake of historical ac accuracy, the most important assistant that comes on the scene in Reb Chaim's time is his son-in-law, Reb Hillel Fried. Remember that name, Fried. It's a very chasvashe name. And he was the assistant Rosh Hashiva, and he was the one who was very well known. Uh, afterwards, you'll see that who should be Rosh Hashiva and who should be assistant, it becomes a source of Mathaikis. And this leads us to another part of the Velazhin Yeshiva, and it's something that continues until today. It has its pros, its positivism, 
and it has its negativism. And that's very simple. Who owns, we've alluded to it many times, but now I have to put it into context. Who owns the Velushin Yeshiva? The Velushin family. It's a private institution. When the institution began, whose money went into it? Rebchaim Velushin. He was a wealthy man, he was a businessman, involved with lumber. Uh, Itzkowitz family name that at least the one family name we uncover about him even that they're not certain but it seems it's Itzkowitz because the Russian documents uh, refer to him as such and he owned the yeshiva when you own the yeshiva notice what did I say two minutes ago son-in-law it's what you call a family business and uh, you're all familiar yeah I don't know, Mark Wiener married in, his wife's father had a big manufacturing business. Mark winds up in the business. You wind up in there because your father took you in. You follow? I'm assuming we're making it up, but uh, don't get upset. But it's a family business. When the yeshiva becomes a family business, you have to be part of the family to become a member of the faculty. And uh, ultimately, this story goes on and on. Hebron Yeshiva. Who owns Hebron Yeshiva? Who owns Slabatka? Who owns Tells? Who owns Lakewood? Who owns Chaim Berlin? And there were bitter battles fought about this, because it became a public trust. But originally, Rav Hutna says Yeshiva. He built it. He put it on the map. His son-in-law should succeed him. Well, partially he did, but only partially. And and uh, this begins in Velazhin. Uh Now, what's good about being a family yeshiva? Very simple. If Mark's uh, father-in-law had a business, his father-in-law wants to be sure the business doesn't come to an end. It's, you see in Israel, the Melundics are all up there, hundreds of thousands. Many stores are closed down. The owner's not there. One of the biggest problems we have when we go back to a more normal lifestyle, be as Hashem, how do you keep the business going? That's your life. That's your income. It's a real problem. When you own a yeshiva, it's your income, it's your family, it's your calling in life. You see, after World War II, most of the yeshiva that were family business were reestablished by the family. Take Tells, Rav Blach, Rav Katz, all part of the Tells family. Blach, a son, Katz, a son-in-law, they wind up in America by miracles. They were fundraising, got caught in America. Their entire families were wiped out in Europe. I mean, these are men who lost wife and many children. Uh, they later remarried in America. But uh, you know what it means to lose a wife and ten children? I don't have to elaborate. They reestablished towns. Family business. Take Rebaran Cutler. How did he get involved? He married Rabisa Zalman Meltzer's daughter. Rabisa Zalman Meltzer was 
Rav of Slutsk established, took over the yeshiva there, built the yeshiva when he went in Aliyah. Slutsk moved to Kletz for World War I, had to go to Poland, get away from the communists. Rabbi Sazalman goes on Aliyah, who takes over? His son-in-law, Rabbi Aaron Kutler. Rabbi Aaron Kutler comes to America. There's a little kibbutz in White Plains. See, no one really knows this, that they brought Rabbi Mendel Zaks to White Plains and they were dreaming of establishing a kolel kudshim, but it didn't succeed. Whatever the reasons were, Reb Mendel didn't have the administrative ability perhaps, the students didn't want to go to White Plains, there weren't that, that many yet. So, well, is, is, uh, Vic, I just saw you on, didn't I see you on, on the... Uh, well, I was traveling through the... Your name came up before Shear. You don't know that. You're, Morty told me, guess where he's going next week. Where'd you go last winter? We had to bail you out, suffering, freezing, a lot. And I told Morty, I hope he doesn't get caught in in the Vic Snow a lot syndrome. You know what happened to me? He went to a lot to Ahmad's fault. He had a place in Florida. I told him, sell the place and stay in Israel all year for the Shayurim. So he sold it. And last winter he's freezing. So he decides he's going to go to a lot for a week. He goes to a lot. It was the coldest days of the year. The hotels have no heat. He froze. He couldn't get out of bed. He needed five blankets. And he asked the owner of the hotel, why don't you put me? The owner said, what, are you crazy? For three days a year, I'm going to spend a few million dollars? All right, let's get back here. So you see, Tells was reestablished. Lakewood, when they came to Rabarin, see, Rabarin was not interested in reestablishing Kletsk. He was busy with Hatzalah. By 1943, he realized that there was no hope. You couldn't save anyone anymore. And that's when he agreed, and that's when he decided White Plains is too close to New York. We've got to get far away from the big city, far away from the universities, the colleges. And he chose Lakewood. There was another reason he chose Lakewood. Lakewood had two kosher hotels, a very big one and a smaller one. Budnus and Grossman's, I think, there's. Budnus was the smaller one. If anyone can correct me, I, it's a, New Brunswick was the big one, am I right? And uh, that was very good for fundraising. Of course, those places would be filled, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchas Teira. And Rabbaran was very smart. You could make appeals, and people would come see the yeshiva, their hearts opened, their pocketbooks opened, their wallets opened. So Rabarin chose Lakewood. It was very smart on his part. And he wanted to reopen it. Kletz, Lakewood originally, Kletz, the family business. He went after his Talmidim who had come to America, including Morty Tarragon's father-in-law. But Morty Tarragon's father was a Talmud mother cover bound from Kletz. By that time, he said, look, I'm married. I have to have Panasa for my family. He went to college and became an engineer. Am I correct, Morty? He became an engineer? Before, in Moscow, during the war. In, in Moscow, during the war. Kol, 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 kol. 
That's the story. But when Rabarin asked him, he already was an engineer. But Rabarin picked up, uh, I think Lakewood began with 13 students. That was the whole beginning. One of them was someone I would later teach with for seven years till I went on Aliyah, Louis Isby, Rabbi Isby, Rabbi Gedali Shor's brother-in-law. That's how it began. But it was a family institution. And when the family is there, they want to reestablish it. So that's positive. Yeshiva Kachmai Lublin, which was a public trust, not a family institution, because Rav Meir Shapiro, as you know from my Shegurim, had no children. That was never reestablished again. Yes, many years later, B'nai Brak, a Talmud, opened the yeshiva, he called it Chachmei Lublin. But the yeshiva is really Chachmei Lublin in Detroit too. There was a yeshiva reestablished, the day school, a high school. They called it originally Chachmei Lublin. And they actually got money from the Polish government because they claimed we're perpetuating the name of the yeshiva that was destroyed here in Poland. But uh, the downside is illustrated by the very fact I'm sitting here. Have you caught what I just said, Norm? Oh, now I know so many decades later I have the biggest in the world. As far as YU is concerned, they have to publicize. Rabbi Raketrin in Israel, cousin of our founder, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Raketrin, cousin of Rabbi Dr. Dove Revel. That any seichel, they do that. And oh, they'd establish a chair. Kenny, my Talmudim, and the money would pour in today. I can tell you that. You know who came to this class a few months ago and declared me, I don't want to say anything further, but Baruch Hashem. How did I get here? Who am I? What am I? I came in 1951. All right, a serious student. I'm getting married. It's a true story. I mean, it's like a movie. You can check with Rabbi Heshel Shech. The Heshi remembers. So before the chuppah, after the ketuvah, you, you say divrei Torah. I told you. I spoke for 22 minutes. They can't break you off. When the rubber sitting there, he didn't allow them to break off the chatan, the chatan speaking. He called it a bizeyon of Torah. You know, they start saying, oh, oh, jishama, and they break off the chatan. No. 22 minutes I spoke. I still remember the topic. I don't have my notes. I was getting married a few minutes later. Forgive me for being a little nervous. I'm part of from Kriyat an open Mishnah. And uh, someone robbed them. I never found them. I came back looking for it after the chuppah. And uh, I finished speaking. The Rav kisses me, embraces me, and kisses me. I took for granted. This is normal. I told you. Norman B. Abrams calls me in during Shevard Rakas. Arnold, what I saw, I cannot believe. I told Dr. Belkin. I'm looking at him. What are you talking about? He says, the Rav kissed you. Now I know what that means. I wrote about the fact that the Rav never got, never got a kiss from his father. And Dr. Belkin and I agreed the next opening for Rosh Hashiva, we will appoint you. And Yonatan, believe it or not, they kept their word. Less than a year later, I get a telegram 
Rabbi Belkin wants to see you 10 o'clock at his office Monday morning. I got the telegram Thursday. Kabbalah I didn't say, but again, I took for granted. Is there any kid who's a smart kid, a nice kid, a good kid? over a case shall yash pointed me properly. Might as well talk Chinese. Did you understand what I said? A little. Abyssal. Say it back already in Mamalash. Thank Semple Sugihara, Zechit Sadak Lefracha, that I know Yiddish, that I could use it when I worked for the Mossad in Minsk, in Riga, in Vilna. It's Taftank in Semple Sugihara, Zechit Sadak Lefracha. And he appointed me a Rosh Hashiva, an outsider. An outsider. Today I'm a big shot. I, 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 who gives a hoot already at my stage in life? Either I made it or I failed. I'm not going to change things. Although yesterday she, I already got emails. Thank you for. I want to thank everyone for their compliments. I, it's good to hear. I don't want to be. I don't want to be like the Rav who never, who didn't get a Yashukayach that time. Read the, the Return to Zion. I'm so glad they didn't censor it. It's the rub. And, and they gave him, they heard he was upset. He gave a five hour share and no one said Yashakayach and he was upset. So they sent him a gift. He says, I know why you sent me the gift because you want to invite me to speak at the Mizrahi and you think if you sent me a gift, it's all all in the rub's inimitable language. And they sent Dean Zah to speak with him. So the rub says, take back the gift. You know I can't say no to Dean Zah. The fact that he came and said, Rebbe, we want you to speak. The rub would agree without the gift. But you see, this is the greatness of an institution that is a communal trust. Vic, I'll give you another example. You're going to be back in the States. Your sister should be well. You're going to go to Flatbush. You have two great, a great nephew and a great niece getting married. Am I right? Baruch Hashem. When you're in Flatbush, go into Teirevadas. Go to the Rosh Yeshiva, look him up, Rabbi Yitzchak Lichtenstein, tell him, Rabbi Yitzchak, a guy named Aaron Rekefitz sends love and best regards, okay? Yitzi Lichtenstein, Rosh Yeshiva of Teirevadas? Vaskaitonda, what's happening here? Who can believe it? The son of Rabbaran Lichtenstein? The man who built the biggest test of yeshiva in Israel? The grandson of Moreno Rabbeinu of Yosef Dov Halevi Salavejik, who's the volume, The Return to Zion, just came out where he shreds Agudat Yisrael? Not just once, not just twice, not just thrice. Pam pam. Terrific. Rebbe, I'm with you. You forged me. This is a communal trust. Do you understand the difference? So you see, the, when you have tells in America, if you're not related to the family, hey, wait a minute. What happens if the family doesn't produce gedolim? Not everyone, just because your father's a gadol be Israel, you're a gadol. And you see what happened with tells. Once Rabbarak Strutskin died, he died young. First Rabbarak Gifter Strutskin. 
It's not the same towns. Go to Cleveland? I don't want to overstate the case. I was in Cleveland. I couldn't believe they had to put up a wall in the base medrash cutting it one-third of what it used to be. There's no one there. Max is not going to go to Tells if they don't have Rebellion who are world-class. No way. Yeah, yeah, uh, no way what? No way I'm going to tell if they don't have Rebellion in the first class. Baruch Hashem. Kala that's a student. What can I say? I'm going to take a smicha from you. Yeah, but you should know, I had to have my smicha signed twice. The rub signed in 61, and by the time I went on Aliyah, his signature was fading. <laughs> so I came to Rebbe, and I gave him a good pen, and he went into a whole pilpul with me of, of, of a get, Kiktival Gabektiva, or Sefer Torah, and how you metake, and then he signed it, Baruch Hashem. And then you grow older, you don't even show your smicha, forget it. Kenny, there's a pro and a con, but there's no question that it all began in Voloshin, and Voloshin is a family institution. You want another example? It's very simple. Reb Mendel Zaks came to America. No, he has to find Panasa. I lived this, I remember this vividly. In Queens, there was a, uh, or maybe it was still in Brooklyn, I don't recall. No. There was a breakaway from Torah Vadas in the 30s. It became Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim. You've all heard of the Yeshiva. Reb Mendel Zaks took them to Din Torah that they had no right to use the Chafetz Chaim's name. The family owns the name. And he wanted to open up a Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim. And there'll be the problem. People will say... Your Meshulach will come in. I'm collecting for Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim, for the Helika Chafetz Chaim, for the Mechabe, for Mishnah Bruda. And the guy will say, I already gave, not I already gave in the office, but I already gave to Chafetz Chaim. And there was a whole Din Torah. No, does anyone know how the Din Torah ended? Yonatan had it end, you remember? I know. The, the one in Queens became Yeshiva Rabbeinu Yisrael Meir. And, and, and the one in, in Manhattan became the Koyla Chafetz Chaim. Halachalamaisa, many decades have gone by, and the name Chafetz Chaim is the one that's used, and everyone turns to Queens, where Kew Gardens Hills, where Yossi grew up, that's where you have the real Chafetz Chaim today. But you see, again, a family institution. Who owns the name? Yes, Yossi. Hi, so you asked a wonderful question, but the answer is very simple. Yeshiva, Rabbi Yitzchol his own son was three, his own son was a Gadol Shebegadol. People told me, Rabbi David Lipschitz told me, that they say Rabbi Tzvihish, his son, was bigger than his father. But he was in the Rabbanut. It, uh, there was never a Yeshiva there. The Rabbi Yitzchol was the posek of the Dor. He never gave Shurim. He never was had a yeshiva. In America, they organized the yeshiva. It was the greatest cover they could give for the East European immigrants. Anamen after Kovnerov. Everyone knew Rebbe Yitzchak that there's no family involved. 
What's fascinating, Morty, is that I mentioned the son that Tzvi Hish. You know what his son is? Remember I said this? Again, I've, said, I've explained this over the last 64 years of teaching. To me, it's one class since the Kolil began. At least the Kolil is one unit. I don't know when I explained it last. His name was Tzvi Hish Rabinovich. No? Ben, ask the obvious question. If, if the father's name was Specter, how does the son get the name Rabinovich, Rabinowitz? And the answer is very interesting. Um, if you're aware, Reb Gershon Sadowski died last week. Zeichel Tzadik Levracha. Reb Gershon, when I came into YU, I mentioned it yesterday, there were two big lights, Reb Gershon and Reb Aaron. Reb Aaron was known as the babe, had a baby face, and Reb Gershon was known as the Gersh. And they were giants, giants of Torah. We kids shivered in their presence. So, uh, Reb Gershon, his father was a rav in Baltimore. And he said to me, I'll never be a rabbi, I saw what my father suffered. And he went into a whole career with the IRS. Had a, he was a genius, had a master's in math. There were two desks in Baltimore from the IRS. If you had a debate with them of more than, a, I think it was $100,000, either you had to go to Gerish or the other guy. It was also Jewish, but not from, Gerish told me all about him. And Gerish handled these problems. Whatever he decided was law. It was like a court of law. You owe 120000 You owe 95000 Whatever. He, so... Didn't go into business. The Tzvi here saw what his father went through in the Rabnit, Kavnerov, and all the Machloikis, and the Mizrahi, and the Agud. If you know what I'm talking about, I can't elaborate now. But his secretary was a big anti-Zionist, and Rabbi Sochanan was a big pro-Zionist. And the Akmas Nefesh, and the fighting, and the Rishchidim, and the Mitnagdim, and the Musar, and the anti-Musar, so his son said, the heck with the rabbinate. I'm going to be a businessman. When a Rav, a Talmud goes into business, he goes bankrupt. You understand? If Rakefet went into business, have you ever seen me take a dollar from a student? How much money has been offered to me? That's my principle. I can't help it. I... So when the other, the other day someone took sperm and he insisted, so I had to make a donation to the Kolel. I said, all right, give it to the Kolel where uh, Yomo learns. It's a Kolel, mainly Russians, so fine. Night, night kolel. A night Kolel, a night Kolel. So I'm a it to the person who runs it and, you know, gives panasa to Russians. So, and they learn Torah, what can be bad? So he went into business, he went bankrupt. When you start all over again after bankruptcy, the law in Russia was you have to change your name. It's like saying I'm a new person, I'm not responsible for the debts. Rakefet went bankrupt, he now changed his name to Rothkov. He's a new person. So Tzvihish Rabinovich took his mother's maiden name and he became Mitvarov. Mitvarov was not Kovna, was a small... But there, he didn't have the same Akrasnefesh his father had. So that's the story. But, but that's a, a, an open question. And until today, it's no perfect answer. 
ultimately the students decide. If Tells is going to come up with a Rosh Yeshivu second to none, the students will wait online to go there. But why you? Teravidas. They're constantly adding to their faculty. Teravidas felt they have to reinvent themselves. Lakewood is cutting into them. Mir is cutting into them. They brought in Rabbi Yitzchak Lichtenstein and people tell me that the high school and the base medrash have picked up considerably. He, Baruch Hashem, that he's a good Rebbe, he's a Talmud Chacham first rate, good Sheyurim, and he's attracted students. So, and, and, and this is where it began in the Lushen. And you will see that later there's very heavy machloikis. Who should be the Rosh Yeshiva? And it's all members of the family, but the Machloikis is within the family. The students choose this one, that one. Ultimately, it leads to the closing of the classic Velazhin Yeshiva. Be'ezrat Hashem will get there. Okay, yes? Was Rav Chaim also the rub of the city? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was the rub of the city and... Uh, and then we spoke about that last week because, you see, people said, he was an Adam Gadol. What are you doing in a little shtetl like Falajan? But he had been in the rabbinate. He had one shtetl previously. And he saw already in the rabbinate there's so many distractions. The smaller the city, the better. No, but after he came to Shiva. He was, still, he, was Russia, he was the Rav of Velushin. Yeah, but Velushin was a small city. It's, uh, who was there? Someone last week told me he was there in Velushin. And it's not a big city. It's a, a, a little shtetl. He was later offered Vilkomir, which was a much bigger city, and he turned it down. And they say he felt that to run the yeshiva, he needed a clara cup, a clear head. And that you could have in Velushin, you couldn't have in New York. Okay, and by the way, with Rebaran Kutler, this was one of the biggest critiques that no one appreciated <coughs> Rebaran. He had to spend all his time fundraising in New York, or the greater New York area. Today, they're wealthy unto themselves that due to his grandson, Aaron Cutler, who is a genius in how to invest and how to handle money. You need people who is the CEO. He just retired a year or two ago. But this is an art unto itself. In other words, uh, when, when you talk about investments, wealthy people don't manage their own money. They give it to people who handle, manage, give it. Warren Buffett, Irwin, I told you, Irwin Shapiro stood in awe of Warren Buffett. Uh, um, Buffett was a genius with money and, and you have to give credit and the, these people Lakewood, Bisman Rabarin then you wonder where he got his shurim from so Rabarin continued the seven year cycle that was from Kletz he didn't, you follow me? he didn't add to it Rabarin continued the same seven year cycle that he had in Kletz the Rav had a miracle, Morio Rebbe had a miracle that he wasn't elected president of YU. And Rav Shmuel Belkin, whose life suffered 
because he was elected president. And I, I'll tell you this, and I wrote it now, and I'll say it again and again. Reb Shmuel Belkin's life had big influence upon your humble servant. I was offered, so, someone just said to me uh, three weeks ago, a person who comes to Shul to walk me home Shabbos morning, to hold on to me with the steps. So he said to me, people tell me you, you were asked to, you were offered to be in the chief rabbinate. You turned it, I, I said, what are you talking about? Then I remembered, I told them this Shabbos, I said, you know, I keep on forgetting to tell you, you're right. I was offered, what would I, let me not waste time now, but to tell to you very quickly, I have a mitzvah with my wife that none, you have never met anyone else with this mitzvah, a mitzvah of pigeon shvuyim, pshutoka mashma'o, the Mossad said to me, we salute you. I got, Malka and I got a family out of Russia, the Essas family. I write about it in Washington, how I got them out, etc., with miracles. No one believed I would do it, but we achieved the miracle. So, when the Essas family got out, suddenly my name became very well known. So, that people found out, evidently, Rabbi Abram Shapiro, the Ashkenazic chief rabbi, spoke with the Mossad, who is this guy, Rakef? So he sent, he wants to meet me. So I go to Hechel Shlomo, and he's wonderful, but you know, it was a big skut to meet with Abraham Shapiro, and we spoke about it. I can't go into more details now, it'll take the next hour. But he offered me a position where I should be on the chief rabbinate, the liaison with the rabbinic, rabbinical people over the world. And I said to him, well, what do you need me? I suggested, so he said, no, no. I don't want to repeat what he said to me, but I want you. So I told him, I can't do it. I can't leave the classroom. And that's a direct result of a letter that Dr. Belkin wrote to a Talmud in the 50s. I cite the letter in, my, in, in Washington. I'm going to cite it in detail within context. I cited it already in my work on Rav Shmuel Belkin. The Rav had a miracle and, and the Rav wanted to be present more than anything else. We're not talking Stam and Velterainu. We're not gossiping now. I'm telling you facts. So Rav Shmuel Belkin said to the Rav, Beryl, do daigenin from the Talmidim, ich the Tandlin the Geld. Let me translate for you who the dove. Beryl, that's what he knew the Rav by. You worry about the students. I will take care of the money. In, Bo- in Boston, the Rav had a miracle. His wife took care of my monies. You understand? A lot of the fundraising was the Rebetzin. The Rav was a Mayan Mitkaber. He kept on going more and more and different and different. And the Rakefet quotes the Rav in Washington, where the Rav told me and told his Talmidim, teach what you don't know. Teach what you don't know. That way your Talmudim will learn and you will learn. And I have to tell you, you don't realize what this means. I never realized, again, I took all this for granted. When Rav Shmuel Belkin appointed me a Rosh Yeshiva, remember I was in the rabbinate one year. I, I left the Yeshiva 61. I was in Lower Marian Synagogue, second rabbi, 61 through 62. One year. And, the Rav, and I organized with my Balabatim, a class in Gemara, in a private house every week. What did I teach? Moet Katan. 
So Dr. Belkin says to me, we were very impressed. You, you taught a mesechta that you didn't learn in the yeshiva. I looked at him. What does he expect me to do? To stop learning? Just know a few mesechta and nashim and nizikin? But you see, he viewed the fact that I taught something new that I never learned. Wow. And if so, Morty, I'm going to reveal another secret. Max, at my age, I'm revealing all the secrets I know. The Dorot should benefit. Let me reveal another secret. Sanhedrin. The Rav rises in prestige, and he chooses the Mesechet that the Yeshiva will learn. So, one year he chose Sanhedrin. These were the, f- the famous Sanhedrin Shia, which I was part of. That's how I joined the Rav Sanhedrin. And uh, Mr. Avram says to me, I was very friendly, he warmed up to me, I'm a, he knew me, <coughs> the dean, relative of the Tarragon family, Mitzad, your mother, right? And, yeah, and father, father. You father's mother. Your father's mother. Wow. A cousin. A cousin to, wow. So Mr. Abram says to me, he's confiding in me, he says, Arnold, you don't know the problems we have. I don't want to mention the name of the Rashi. He said, this Rashi Shiva came into me crying. What, we're going to teach Sanhedrin next year? I never learned it in tells. How can I give Shayurim? I'll never forget what Miss Davis told me. Mark, I have never given a shear in the kolal in anything I was taught since 1978 on. It's only what I teach myself. Discover, envelop, decipher, and take it further. The rub was fortunate. Okay, now, so, Yoma, what's up? Rebbe has the luxury of, uh, of uh, starting two years early to prepare this year. And here, the, this was imposed on them for, already for the next year. I don't know what you're saying. My shim... Rebbe develops his shim for two years. I work, my shim would develop years. Yeah, I keep on working, right. I'm developing now. Here, the Rebbe said next year, already t- uh, you already have to teach the Sanhedrin. And that was... Uh, uh, Baba. All right, we'll accept, we'll accept them. We'll take Yosef Yosef Mordechai Semendation. I'm working now on Shurim that I hope I'll be able to give five years from now. Yes, Ratashem. Okay. Now, there's something else about Balashan. So you have the Rosh Hashiva, you have the assistant, you have the family. There's something else. Whenever a great Rav came to Balashan and right away... You have to think, what's a great rev coming? It's a shtetl. You heard what Ben said. Ah, the Volusian Yeshiva was unique. It was like a magnet. It's like, remember when we ended off our Sheyurim on Yachal and Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin? So remember I told you that they found the guest book. They've now published it. Wow. Everyone came to look at the yeshiva. Jews, goyim, priests. They, something didn't exist before. It's about 20 times the size of any other building in the city. Right. So the rest right. of the city is little... Right, right. right. And, and, and here in Lublin, you have a major modern building. For Lushen, it was like a magnet. 
people wanted to see the yeshiva, the boys learning. Like Lakewood, there's a story with Lakewood that uh, people would look in through the windows and one student in Lakewood, I don't want to repeat the name, but they tell the story that one student becomes very famous afterwards. He got so upset with people looking in, he suddenly went quack, quack, like he's a duck. What are you looking at before you're at the zoo? You know the story, Ben, or not? All right, uh, let me not repeat any names because I'm not certain they're right. They're just anxious to take revenge. Okay, now, when these G'daylim visited, um, they were Mechabedem to say a Geshir. And you see, this also added to the prestige of the yeshiva. Imagine you're a student, and Reb Chaim Velazhin, and Reb Yitzhak Eliezer Fried, and here, G'dol Oilam visit, they're Mechabedem to say a Shir. This was the minhag of Yeshiva University. I list in Revel all the G'daylim that said She'urim in YU. And it opened students' minds. You saw Yudapayashe G'dayle Yisrael, Reb Shimon Shkav, Reb Lazy Yehuda Finkel, Reb Aaron Kutler. Now with Reb Aaron Kutler, I want to make something very clear. People read and hear my tapes, my, my books, and they get confused. Rebel Khanan Vasaman was the only visiting Rosh Yeshiva who refused to give a shir in Wayu. Rabarin Kutler, I think he was in America in 37. You can check in my book the exact year. So he already heard in Europe that the Yeshiva College who heard of such things. So he, Rabbi Rebel, invites him to give a guest shir, and he says, <coughs> "So he went to ask Rav Henkin. Rav Henkin was a Slutska Talmud, same place, Kletz Slutz. Rav Yosef Eliyahu Henkin. I I heard the story direct with these ears. So he said to him." I'll say it in Yiddish, I'll translate. The yeshiva does, that's all the yeshiva we college In America, college. Rabbi Hankin said to him, the yeshiva is exactly like any other yeshiva. Ah, you're upset it has a college? In America, you have to have a college. And Rabbi Cutler came and gave the shiva. Rav Vasaman, who was personality-wise more extreme than most, that's what people tell me who knew him, he refused. <coughs> what troubled him, and I write about this, I found the correspondence. As we've said many times, YU was a liberal arts college. Rabbi Revel, Rabbi Salavechik, my Rebbe, my relative, Rabbi Revel, they didn't want any censorship. Their feeling was a college has to be a real college. The boys have to be prepared for the real world. I've told you this many times. Reb Elchanan is very <coughs> upset 
that they taught Bialik, that they taught Acharaam, that they taught Darwin's theory of evolution. And he confirmed that this is taught in the yeshiva. And he refused to give a share, a guest lecture. He so refused that if you're familiar <laughs> with the Sylvie era, I have a copy of the letter in his handwriting that a kid in Europe had the chance to come to America to save his life. Yitzchokhanan invited him to be a student, get an unquoted immigrant visa, and Rabbi Hanan Vassman wrote to him, better to die physically than to die spiritually. And in Yitzchokhanan, you will die spiritually. There are Tayravadas, if they can work it out, you can go there. But not just we never know what happened to that kid. The chances are he died a victim of Hitler. So but this story of guest lectures was part and parcel. When a Khashavarov came to the Russian to see what's going on they invited him to give a guest lecture. And it too broadened the experience. Could you imagine being a Talmud in Volusian and Allah Gedele Israel of Eastern Europe? You hear this one, you hear that one. It's a wonderful experience. I still remember in YU when Zev Gold came. <coughs> Zev Gold, did they mean anything to you? who here married a girl who went to Mahon Gold or a daughter of a girl from Mahon Gold? No, anybody, any takers? Who here married a girl who studied with Aaron Rakefet? I taught there from 71 through 89. And I have to tell you, I had wonderful students. Kenny, who did you marry? Who did you marry? She went to Mahon Gold. No? Name, give me the name. Annie, fabulous girl. That's my thought. You were Zaycha, Annie Kelman. You have grandchildren today. Can I hurry and never look back? Send best, best, best regards. That's what I thought. No? Who is Mahon Gold named for? Zev Gold. Who is Zev Gold? You look at Zev Gold as a European Ilui. Came to America, mastered English had a big stella in Williamsburg, modern Orthodox Williamsburg then. Fabulous speaker. The picture of the march on Washington. Who was the spokesman for all the Rabbanim in 1943? Right there is Rav Gold next to a place of silver, Bishra Rosenberg. Hagadolim and Shabaretz. Then he came back to it. The Rav's eulogy for Zev Gold is classic. If you don't have that eulogy, you can't be a religious Zionist. That eulogy is critical to understanding the schut we have to walk Dalar Amot Neret Yisrael every day. So I remember Zev Gold was traveling in America for he was he signed the Chachrasat uh, the what do they call it, the Document of Independence, the Declaration of Independence for Israel. Zev Gold is one of the signatures. So I remember he came to the yeshiva Mahavadim. And I remember the sight, number one, my Rebbe, Reb, Reb Michal Katz, when he saw Zev Gold, they embraced. It was a sight to see. 
the rub, the way he introduced them with such covert and derecherets, and to hear Zev Gold speak, it was like Eretz Yisrael coming to life in the base medrash, the Harry Fischel base medrash on Amsterdam Avenue. And, and this was the experience in the Lushen. Okay. Now let me go a, drop, a step further. What did they study in Velazhin? And here, very different than the yeshiva of today. You have to remember, European kids began studying at a much earlier age. Mark, you're a Talmud Chacham. When did you start to study Gemara? How old? No, give me the age. 17? 16? No? An age. 18. Started at 18. When did I start? Fifth grade. My teacher. Gentlemen, let me tell you a, a true story. I'm revealing more to you. Another secret. Donna, you go home and tell her these stories. It captures the world I knew. I was rabbi. I built the first Orthodox shul suburban Essex County, Maplewood, South Orange. In East Orange, there was still a shul at the time. Rabbi Israel Goldblum. Read about him in Washington. A great influence in my life. His son was my chavim, Menachem Goldblum lives in Israel. He always followed me. Everyone used to, it was a year behind me. He took over my shear when he went in Aliyah. Afterwards, he went in Aliyah. He used to follow me. Everyone used to say, Menachem follows you, Rebbe. So, uh, Israel Goldblum was a European man. Came to America, mastered English, Smicha. In those days, he went in for an oral test. We've spoken about it. It's not like 58 or 59, they changed to written written exams. The oral exam was quite frightening. There's Dr. Belkin, Rep. Meshachatskis, the Rav. Now, what was required for the oral exam? They could ask you questions on your idea. That was uniform for everyone. In addition, you had to submit 100 pages of Gemara that you're ready to be tested on. So, uh, you submit. Rabbi Goldblum tells me he went in for the oral exam and he submitted uh, among the hundred pages, Megillah, I don't know, Tainit. He says the Rav got hysterical. Goldblum, do bist are you the payasher? Nishta Americana. From Zay Vaisech, he didn't move. Tainis. Megillah. From Eich Willich. Noshim, Nizikin, Londis. Hayyuda Peyesha. Translation. How dare you submit the easy Mesechta? You're a European. You began in Europe. America. The American Amayorich, they come in, all right, among the hundred daf, Megillah, Tainis, all right, a little Bab Metziah. 
Papakama. That story I just told you, that's a true story. He got smicher anyway. Uh, you don't know you don't know what a wonderful person I'm talking about. His wife, I recall them Sadikim Yesodei Oilam. I recall them Sikranam Sadikim Levracha. I knew very wonderful people in my life. So let me come back here. Are you familiar with Rothkopf's Revel book? Abe, it's gone through four printings and I let it stand. People bother me. We want Revel, Revel, Revel. Tell you an interesting story there. The seminary opens and I quote an editorial in the Jewish press, the Morgan Journal or the Yiddish Tageblatt. Who the heck needs a rabbinic seminary? These American kids, imagine they're boasting they learned 20 Daf Gemara in one year. We're European. It was the Eastern Europe community, the East Side, Vic, your parents, your grandparents, Europeisha. 20 Daf Gemara, we learned 20 Daf Gemara when we were five years old. See, the Europeans, they get started, but they then, talking then, they got started much earlier. Go to Meir Sharim. Bibi Netanyahu's grandson made a Siyam Shas. How old was he? 13. Siyam Shas. In Yiddish. Bibi's grandson we're talking about. My Talmud son. I'll put it that way. From this kolel, Rabbi Roth. It's unbelievable. So you see, we could never do what Velazhin did. Velazhin learned Shas al Haseda. Kids come into Velazhin, even if they were young, and we'll come to that, they already knew how to learn. And Shas al Haseda. Rashi Shiva gave Shayurim. It wasn't that the Rub selected a Masechet they're going to learn that year. But yeah, Brachat, Shabbat, Eruv, whatever you're up to. They're in Yavamat, Rosh Hashiva takes over. They will be Kiyam in Shas, Kolkatora Kula. It's unbelievable. Something else about Velashim. And this too continues today in the classic yeshivat. I would hate to see it in YU. Classic yeshivat. No student was required to go to the Rosh Hashiva Shia. The main learning was on your own. As I told you, they knew how to learn. Today in YU, I have one student, I want him to be nameless. He told me once, this is a student who's been my student many times, BMT, the Kolel, post-Kolel. It's a great individual. So he told me he was in this person, she and YU, for two years. Famous name. 
Says Rebbe, I didn't learn a word those two years. He was a great Talmud Chacham, but you, a, a kid of 17, 18, needs a derech in learning. He sat there, the Rebbe threw around knowledge, achronim. But a younger kid, you need a shear. How do you explain the Gemara? What, the rub, what, did you read the Gemara for the rub? No. What's bothering you? You read the Gemara. What is the Gemara? Why this question? How do you explain it? You open a Rambam. You have to show a kid. Sometimes the Rambam had a different Nusach in the Gemara. That's how the Rambam Paskin what he did. Totally different than the Rif. Can be totally different than Rashi. In Volusion, a young man already knew how to learn. And you want to learn on your own, you want to learn Bechavruta, continue. More important than hearing Yeshia from the Rosh Yeshiva. So this was a tradition beginning in Yelash, and it continues until today. I remember I became uh, slightly close to Rabbeinish Finkel of Mir, Mir Rosh Yeshiva. How did I come to Rabbeinish? His family, the Ridbasa's family, he ties in, they were very close to me in Maplewood, South Orange. And I had a bar mitzvah. I, I think there's a picture of me with Rabbeinish in Washington. So we're talking about Shayur. So Rabbeinish says to me, when I stand up to give Shir, Two-thirds of the base medrash walks out. You see, it was, you didn't have to go. Could you imagine the rubber standing up to give shear and you're walking out? I told you the story with Judel Rosenberg. Judel had influence. He was an Eloy. His father was Rabbi Rosenberg of, of, of Connecticut. And, and his grandfather, uh, Holyoke at one time, and, 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 and give, give credit, and then to Hartford. And his grandfather was Reb Lezer Predmetsky, one of the biggest Rebbeinim in the Bronx. So he got smicha. I can tell you the date, Reb Yitzchel Chanan's Yotzeit, Chaf Aleph Adah, 1959. Got smicha when he graduated college. They made a deal with him. We? Who ever heard of smicha? Two years after college. Then they made it three years. Today it's four years. Got smicha. Right after he got smicha, the next week he's not in Shia. Two weeks later, he shows up. The rub looks him right in the eye in front of the whole class. Yudel, vasim etaich. Du kat gekrakking smichim in daft nicht leren in weiter. And boy, Yudel, what's with you? You got smicha, you don't have to learn anything else? He fell into the floor. There was a hole in the ground that covered him up. Boy, he didn't miss a class to the end of the year. Ah, the Rav was right. Chutzpah. You pull the shtick, you, got, you don't want to hear your Rebbe be a touched up how he explains the Rambam. And, but in Volosian, Mir, now in Mir for the first time, there's one individual that's become dominant, Harab Ariely. You know what I'm talking about. And they've made a whole, given him a whole platform. They say there are a thousand people out of Shia. And it's broadcast, it's recorded, it goes to Europe. By, by virtue of his 
Lamdis' personality. He's giving now two sure, one Hebrew, one Yiddish. One Hebrew, one Yiddish. Kalakavod. In Lakewood, you don't have one simple personality today. No, you don't have. Uh, but you have Rashi Yeshiva, what, four, I think, official. And as I've said, Lakewood and Mir are more of a tent structure than a yeshiva structure. It's, it's many different chaburot. And the notion was like that. And, and that's the way it began. Shas, kola no concept of one mesechta. You can teach what you wish, study what you wish. You have to find your own way. But you got to remember, when you came to the Lushen, you were a Talmud Chacham already. You knew how to learn. You didn't need a Rebbe to guide you through the puzzles that come up when you open Shasim Paiskim. Now, it's another factor, and this comes back to the Nefesh Achayim. No, we learn Torah. Fine. I'm, I boast on finishing Shas of the time. I learn these Sadarim, that Sadarim. All right. Rakafid, why do you learn? Well, you'll have a wise guy who'll say, I'm doing the Rebani Shalom a favor. Torah shouldn't be forgotten. All right, that's also an answer. Rakafid, why do you learn? Well, I want to be a good Jew. Talmud Torah is a mitzvah. Ain't lo sheyur. All right. I want to hear one of you get up and say, and this is an open Gemara, and it's Nefesh HaChayim. I learned Torah, so the world should continue to exist. Lurei Torah The earth and the heavens would not survive. All right? Yehuda, have you ever said that? Have you ever felt it? It's a challenge. In the Lushen, they believed it, believed the Nefesh. What am I referring to? No, this is the famous story. There were never any pause in the study of Torah. People learned around the clock. Chaburah developed, let's say you learned till 12 midnight. Another Chaburah came in when you went to sleep. They slept the first part of the night and then they took over the learning. There should never be a minute without Talmud Torah. And this story is already told about many. I heard it about the Pahim Volashin. I heard it about the Nitziv. Well, Yom Kippur ends. Norm Schloss, back in Atlanta. Yom Kippur ends. He stands on the side. They say, Norm, why are you standing on the side? I ought to be trampled by the people running home to make a bracha on food. All right, I'm not criticizing. At my age, I told you, my grandchildren say to me, you're still fasting, son? Deserve a, a pass. You're over 80. And I have to tell you, I can't believe what goes on here. The doctors, the research, the rabbanim, 
They already said anyone over 80 should drink Pachas Mikishir because you dehydrate quicker. All right, I have to say, I haven't, there had to be some Tisha B'Av and Yom Kippur, I manage. I should manage further as Ratashim. But uh, I, I, I don't want to denigrate any Psakim because uh, you do, you de- I, I do feel I dehydrate. I have to drink every few hours something liquid. I feel it. So uh, in Velazhin, Rav Chaim would stay another two hours after the first come in and start learning. I've heard the same story about the Nitziv, about the Rafal Shapiro, all Velazhin. But we all get the message. What a yeshiva, what an institution, what a nefesh hachayim. It comes to life. It's there before your eyes. Now, who are the students attracted to Velazhin? So here too it's fascinating. Who was attracted? Who would send their kids there? First of all, Clay Kodesh. Rabbanim, if you're a Talmud Chacham, a Gadol B'Torah, there's no greater desire that you have than to see your son continue in your footsteps. I remember the Rav Hatzich Baklak, he one time cried to his close Talmidim, talking in the late 70s now. He said, my son Chaim, it's not a Rosh Hashiva. In other words, Chaim conquered the world, uh, the, uh, the greatest Talmud Chacham ever raised in America. I don't know if you realize Chaim's knowledge. <laughs> and then he gets a becomes Yaakov Katz's top Talmud ever. And his work on Stam uh, Yenam, I called, I told Chaim your volume on Yenam is the gold standard for Torah academic scholarship. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable the knowledge that one individual can have. And, and, but to the Rav, he was in the Rosh Hashiva. Later, Mark, in your time, did he say Yeshir in Meats? They gave him after the Rav. He did say Yeshir in Zrayim, remember? But students couldn't follow him. He was light years above them. And in order to teach, you have to recognize you have knowledge. Not everyone listening to you has the same knowledge. You have to come down the mountain and help them understand. But Chaim couldn't bridge the gap. Yeah, the stories are legendary about Chaim and his prime. Here in Hebrew U, he used to give a shi as professor, but this was nothing to do with, with formal, formal, t- formal courses. It had to do voluntary he used to give his shir, and one time he asked the class, and what does the Ramban say? And one said, uh, I don't know. I, each one, he got so angry, finally one kid says, he doesn't say anything. Correct. You follow? He Even to know, and to know not to know that he didn't say anything. That was kind of, he was my classmate. He was my classmate. He graduated Harvard in 59, and he came to study with the, with the Rav the next two years. And uh, there was a student studying with us for smicha, and he hired Chaim to teach him, to be his chafrat. He gained a great deal. Harris Gedalia, Rabbi Gedalia afterwards. And Lo Lenu, Rabbi Gedalia lost the grandson in battle. 
the Harris married a Bentheim, Judy Bentheim, Zichronet Sadeket Levracha was uh, some of the Bentheim the Bentheim children were fabulous. They raised children during the fifties all from unbelievable. And Judy and and it's Judy and Harris's grandson and that's one Bentheim great grandchild and another daughter another daughter. Yeah, he was also Robin Holyoke. Holyoke is starring today's year, and that we have to give credit. And and they also lost another grandchild, Zussman. That's Edna Bentheim married Ava Zussman and their grandson, who lived down the block from me. They're Israeli flags as you drive up to my block uh, in his memory, in his honor. Shem Yikom Damam. I have a lot of problems with America. They, they will destroy the Jewish state. Two states means no state. Give them one inch of land and look what we got out of Gush Katif, out of Lebanon. The price we're going to have to pay to go back to Lebanon now. Shem Yerachim. Come back here. So Clay Kodesh sent their kids. What's fascinating you had a lot of children from moderately wealthy business families. Why am I saying this? Well, there are many reasons. The very wealthy business families gradually were affected by the Enlightenment. And while the Enlightenment in Eastern Europe never reached the extremes of Schmad of <coughs> Western Europe, but a kid to go to yeshiva, not gymnasium, not university, the wealthier families, they were elsewhere. The poor families, they had the opposite. Vic who supports the family, who works. Kid of 13, 14 was working already. They couldn't afford the luxury of sending a kid to the Lushen. But the middle class, many of these people, business people, import, export they were traveling and they were good Jews and they heard about Volusion they wanted to come see it and they would come peek into the base medrash wow a hundred kids sitting studying the voice of Torah and Many of them, if they had a kid, that the kid felt that drive to be with Torah, love Torah, learn Torah, master Torah, these kids went to Volusion. That's fascinating where their student body came from. And Volusion never lacked for students. 
they always had the family produced the greatest Rashi Yeshiva Malamde Torah Tamide Chachamim, the Volusian dynasty, later Volusian Brisk, and they were very selective. See, that's something that you never heard of before. Previously, a Rav Stavishir, a few Talmudim gathered around him. The Rav looked at it, the more the merrier. No one was rejected. Volusian already. You needed pull to get in. You were tested. Mishulachim sent letters of recommendation from this community. These young men stand above the crowd and learning. They came. They were tested. They were accepted. It, it was the whole concept of illusion was total innovation. Zera Eva Kadesh. Never saw anything like it before but it influenced every yeshiva until today. Take a look at YU. I know people didn't get into YU. People want to learn Torah. I don't know. I could never, ever be an administrator, a yeshiva, or a dean. How can you reject a young man? By the way, that's happening now on the Israeli scene. The season began now. I know my great-granddaughter, uh, Ulpana, where do you go next? Yeshiva, Ulpana, high school, uh, junior high school, seventh grade, eighth grade, and these kids apply. And one Menachel of a Yeshiva High School said, I see these pictures in the newspaper of these young boys who fall. How can I reject any young man who wants to come to my school, to my Yeshiva, to my program? Broke my heart to read that. I hope we'll never have to reject anybody, but I could never ever reject them. Sorry. I told you the boat trip to Israel when we came in Aliyah destroyed the person I was. Asked Joey Epstein what it was like as a Rebbe in the 1960s. It's my Talmud, 60, approximately 65. When he got an 80 on my exam, he called his father long distance. Father was rubbing Syracuse. Told his father, I got an 80 on, on uh, Rabbi Rothkopf's exam. I, I was a rough guy. Kenny, did I ever give an exam in BMT? Never. Not in BMT. And you can ask any, not Machon Gold. And the other teachers were mad at me because I used to give stupid papers. Yitzhak Sazayim. What I was, what I am, what I've been. And they say, never get no one that I like. You only give us exams. All right. 
let them like me for not giving exams. I think, Kenny, it's a little deeper than that, but it's okay. My dear students, I, I can't believe I have a full room in front of me. I apologize. I, I, I think, I don't know, there may be more people in the room than on the screen. I don't know, at least 10 are on the screen. Where do we, we're more in the room? Because uh, it was not easy with Corona and the screen. I remember I was teaching no one. I was teaching from my house. My granddaughter handled what Yomo does. And then we were teaching here and no one in front. And people got lazy. Who wants to come to YU and struggle with the traffic? But there's nothing like students in front of you. Vic, we're going to miss you 100%. Okay, but you're going with Dvar Mitzvah. Have a Talmud, I invited a Talmud and Talmudar visiting from America, and I invited them to Shir, and they're not here. And I get an email, they're picking grapefruits. So I wrote back to them today, Oseik B'Mitzvah, Potter Mincha Mitzvah. My dear students, what do we do today? We still have a long way to go, a long way to go with Velash and Halavai. We should finish by Achilat Matzah, but I doubt it. But all right, we're going shlav shlav, step by step. I'll come back to uh, the problem of learning vis-a-vis -vis emotion and feeling Nefesh versus the Hasidic world. I have a lot more to say in it, but... I hope I'll reach it next week, Bezrat Hashem. So what do we do today, all right? We have to thank uh, Professor Stamfer. His volume is A number one. And uh, where did he get it from? Abe, I told you, the memoir literature. He puts it together, and he's able to construct the world of Velazhin. Unfortunately, the Rishonic period and the the Talmudic period, you don't have that much memo literature. But if you search the Gemara carefully and Midrashim, you can come up with some memo literature. It's a lot harder. Sheer Rappaport, Shmuel, uh, uh, remember we spoke about him, uh, the son-in-law, he was the first one to do biographies of Rishonim, Gainim, he searched, he knew Kala Torah Kula, and he pulled out of it memoir literature. For Stamfer already, it's a lot easier, because as I said last week, there were many graduates of Velazhin who were broadened. Some already left Torah, became secular Zionists, but they wrote memoir, and we can recreate Velazhin properly. Print is cheap. Everything I said last week, more svarim introductions you can pull out. So we've seen the last we've seen how it began. We have more to talk about how it, the, the innovations, but you get a feeling, Rosh Yeshiva, Skan Rosh Yeshiva, the students, the lima, the learning, and around the clock, 7.24, even on Shabbos, Friday night, 12 midnight, Mishmarat changed, but there was always a minion or more in the base mattress. Wow. 
Why you today? Is it going all night? Yes, see, what's the story? In my time, the base medish would empty out by ten. Only the Gersh and the babe would be there till after one. And I told you, we used to place bets. Who would leave last? And uh, Charlie Thompson, the janitor, you read, read Washington, Purvis, Sam Purvis, these were Goyim. But they would tell us the next morning, I remember Sam Purvis going, the babe, 102, the Gersh, 105. He beat the babe by three minutes. In my book, I wrote also that the, the Gersh beat the babe. So people, the old generation, asked me, why did you put the Gersh above Rabbi Lichtenstein? I said, first of all, I don't know, it was above three minutes, but, but I'll tell you why. See, it's very important to know why I did it that way. There was a reason. Rabarin became ashamed of her in his life. It was very much Leah, Tanayin Hara. The Gersh, Yehuda Dov, never heard of him until my classes. You follow me? So, at least in my memoir literature, let him win the battle. I'm sure Rabarin would agree. Rabban was very impressed with my work, Washington, because I traced down the people, exactly who they were and what became of them. The person who leaned over and said to me, when Rabbendel Zak said to me, Zaga Bissel Rasi, I didn't know what Rasi was. I almost fainted getting an exam to get into the school. He leaned over and said, Rashi, Rashi. I didn't know that fucking a guten Sabbath, Sabbath nach Sachwitz, having gesend the sixer in the shul. I forget what I just told you. You know that joke with the Sabbath. So uh, I traced him down too. And Aaron said to me, Wow, found out. He became a principal of the Bejak. Okay, my dear students, are there any questions? I thank you from the bottom of my heart of honoring me with your presence. Yomo, wake up. Barkai. Barkai. There are more people online now than before, okay? Barkai. Recording stuff. Okay, Yoshua, can you hear me? Yoshua Grinstein. So I just want you to know that story I told you yesterday with that Tat Aluf is classic. That's an Israeli who is, can't understand how I came an Aliyah. And I'm the Israeli of American origins who has difficulty understanding how an Israeli born and bred here. But now I understand he never opened the Chumash with Rashi. Lower language, and that's classic. So I'm I'm proud to say, look, it's a gradual adjustment. I had students who would only speak Hebrew, and I don't feel that way. My my great grandchildren speak Hebrew at the age of two better and more rapidly with more words than I speak at the age of ninety-two. But Baruch Hashem, I'm an Israeli of American origins. One time. At a dominion in my parking lot, so there was a famous Jew, a, a Yeki, who, and he was, he's no longer alive, very fair, Halberstam. 
and the, there's a bench named the memory of him and his wife. We had great people on Rav Chaim Berlin on that street. So one time I'm talking with Sam Dershowitz in English, and he comes over, So I told him off. I said, you ran away from Germany to save your life. I agree with you. Never speak German again. I said, Sam and I came in Aliyah. People laughed at us. What are you, crazy? Leaving America. The Rav, Dr. Belkin, they looked at us askance. What are you leaving? You have everything here. I said, what? We're proud we came in Aliyah, but we don't have to deny the fact that English is our native language. Anyway, that's just an addendum to what we've been saying, but the question is a good question. The Rambam, I thank Ben for showing it to me. The Ibn Ezra I found on my own. And Atzbo I praise. They summarize the Ibn Ezra very nicely. Okay, are there any questions? Yitz, thanks for your call. Yeah. One second. One, one second. Gentlemen, gentlemen. Vic, Vic. Quiet. I can't hear him. Quiet, quiet, quiet. Go ahead, yeah. There was a Yemei Yun. There was a Yemei Yun about the Yeshiva world from Balazs until today, till the 90s, when I learned there. And Rabbuddin gave a very, very long talk in which he basically said that the head of their movement is the natural continuation of Balazs. And whoever goes to learn Torah only is actually weak because that's not what the generation demands and that's not what Israel demands. Uh, but he absolutely believes that Malushin and the Hezder movement are a natural continuation. Alright. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that. I would put the rub in the middle and I, w- I, I would quote uh, a guy named Rakefet and when I said this to the editor of Ami he danced the horror. He got so excited. And that's very simple. The rub how do you describe him? A brisker in the Western world. And uh, what, what that means is we have to adjust to the civilization in which we find ourselves. But uh, what you... Rebbe, I just want to explain, I want to add that when his first son, Moshe, went to the army, he wrote a letter to Mayor Lichtenstein, who was then learning with the Rub in New York, saying it's too bad that the generation demands that he goes to the army since he's learning so well. In other words, the right, army right. he didn't view as a lechachila. He right. said, it's unfortunate that we have to fight wars, but if we do, we have to be there. Right, well, I, I wouldn't view it as a bidyevet. I think, thank God, we have an army, and I only hope the Haredim open up. We need a bigger army, and I think I told you yesterday, my grandson who uh, on patrol met, met a member of his greater unit. It's the brigade now they formed with Yehuda Vishomran, and uh, he meets a Litvak Haredi from B'nai Brak. And my grandson was so impressed with him. And he stressed to me, he's not a chassid. What was he saying? He's met chassidim, you know, you meet in the army, I, I, I gera, uh, uh, chabadnikim, uh, belza, and you meet some chassidim with overwhelming pride in being in the army and avat Yisrael, and he met a, a, a litvak from B'nai Brak. Halavai, vaita. The Yibani Shalalim should help us, and we should only have good news. I don't want to hear any more names. Every name breaks my heart. But Okay, are there any other questions? 
Okay, until we meet again, and Jack, I want to thank you for what you're doing. And now, because of what you're doing, so Yomo is going to try. Someone requested from America that we post uh, the the Mishnah Halachat on screen, so they can uh, look at it and, and know the source and download it. On why you Torah? On why you Torah? On why you Torah? So uh, it's readily available on the internet. I, I, I've downloaded the entire collection of the Shela Mitzvot. Okay, good. It's there. I, I can. I, it can be done now. You don't have to do anything else. Okay, I hope that person is listening to what you just said. But Jomo says he's going to do it in a way that will be available to everyone. I think Hebrew books. The website Hebrew books. I think that's where I got the. Yeah, Jomo says it's Hebrew books. All right. Yes, what was funny yesterday, it's once in a lifetime that I'm quoting a letter I got in 10 years ago and the author of the letter is sitting right in front of me. Uh, you follow me? Uh, that, that, that was a moment in time yesterday. Yeah, Mark, he was the author of the letter. Okay, until we meet again in health and happiness, Das Vidanya.